Jeff, do not blaspheme when it's my turn to be the judge. You're going to bring out the Inquisition in me. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, we are going to be tackling a subject that I cannot believe we have not even come close to talking about in our 80-plus episode run of Irenicast as post-evangelicals, and that is the subject of prayer. And along with that, we're going to be closing out our episode with a segment that we did way back in episode 24 called Apple Dash. So, yeah, so do you think we've been psychologically avoiding this? I think so. <laughs> Why? <laughs> For a lot of reasons. I think one of the reasons is we probably kind of differ with where we're at. Yeah. And we psychologically gravitate toward all the topics that we agree on. Well, yeah. And I think that also, I think that this is a difficult subject as you move into progressive Christianity because it's a little, I don't know, mystical, disembodied, whatever we want to call it. And especially, and Mona, I don't want to speak too much for you, but I mean, coming us coming from a Pentecostal background, that probably affects... <laughs> <laughs> why we are a little hesitant to address this subject as well, too, because it's so connected to, at least for me, a lot of weird, basically magic spells. Like, I'll just put it out there. Basically, magic spells is what prayer was in a lot of circles of Pentecostalism. It was the the praying the promises of God and the claiming things. And well, I think that's more magic-y than the Pentecostal prayer thing, like sowing and reaping, claiming certain things. and. If, you, if you're not familiar with any of this, uh, apologies. We're trying to explain something that's really complicated and really close to the heart of these traditions. So prayer for evangelicals and conservatives a lot of times is a very sincere belief that God moves in the world, right? We kind of talked about this a little bit last week. And you're asking God to do certain things and hoping that your heart is just and therefore God will grant your prayer. So I guess we can talk about later what we really think God does in the world or won't do in the world. And if God intends to do it in the world and it's good, then why doesn't God just do it? Why do we have to ask? Why does it have to be a conversation? Does prayer just change us or is prayer actually doing something? But um, a, lo a lot of you know traditions, and especially Christian uh, evangelical and Pentecostal traditions, really believe that if they ask God, if they ask God enough, like the, the widow who cries out for justice over and over again, and eventually the king grants her wish, that if they pray like that, if they travail, if they, you know, bear their souls before God, that eventually um, that prayer will come true. And so prayer is very close to the heart of these traditions. And um, Pentecostals, you know, pray in tongues. And that's something we haven't really talked about much either on the show. Yeah, everything everything you brought up is like this web of interconnected topics. I mean, the uh, the idea that you you petition God and you ask for things and you continually ask over and over comes from the New Testament, from uh, passages about Jesus' sayings, teachings on prayer, and how... Oh, but there's Old Testament legacy too, like the story of Hannah. And Samuel. So Hannah went to the temple every day and cried and cried and cried before God. And eventually she was granted a child. Um, that goes way back. I mean, that's a really ancient tradition of. Praying. And it was right. And it's explicitly taught to Christ followers in the gospel, at least to have that sort of a prayer relationship with God that you continually ask for things that you need. 
I mean, that's the basic part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Is asking for provision. I, I don't know. I think that's only like one line in there, isn't it? Yeah. It's just Give us a stare, our daily bread. Mm-hmm. There's also about forgiveness, so like reconciliation to right relationship with those around you and asking to inherit the kingdom of heaven and recognizing your identity as a follower of God and praise and adoration. Uh, that kingdom come, thy will be done, recognizing God's will on earth. You know, there's, there's a lot. There's Confession. a lot there besides just asking for things. Confession, yeah. So I think only one aspect of prayer is asking for crap, Absolutely. Right? Uh, you just you just did a nice little neat summary for our Bible study. We're going to pray all those different things now. Thank you. It was perfect. But you know, really, if if our people who are called by God's name would humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and he will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a lot of stuff we have to do to get God's attention. (laughs) That's that's the prayer that I heard almost the beginning of every single prayer meeting growing up because it was always centered around we are in dire straits. I mean, we're seeing that rhetoric even more so now with the, you know, whatever justification people have for their candidate. But this idea of like we, our nation, everything around us is going to hell in a handbasket and we need people to turn from their wicked ways. And what makes me crazy about that is that it's kind of assumed that wicked ways are kind of a monolithic, like, hey, you know, be more moral, like stop cussing and stop watching bad movies. You know, it doesn't look at the larger systems of why people do destructive things to themselves or to each other. It just says, hey, stop that. And, yeah. you know, God will have favor on you. It's it's very flat, you know? Not originally, because they didn't watch TVs and it wasn't about cussing in its original context. I think it's pretty important to point out. I think that comes from Jeremiah, right? No, Jeremiah Second Chronicles. Is, Second Chronicles? It's oh, Solomon's man. prayer. You know, see, I don't I don't come from this tradition, so I'm not well versed in <laughs> Well, I, I was trying to say like how people t- teach and under- seem to understand that now, but you're right, it's it's very much taken out of context. Um yeah, it's very nebulous, right? Like what are wicked ways and how do you humble yourself and how do you even pray? Like, but you're just supposed to do it cuz you know, then you'll have God's attention and favor. Yeah. Well, Um, let's focus kind of where we're at. So obviously we've all had a journey with how we thought about what prayer was and what it is now. And maybe what are, what what is our hesitation for even waiting this long to talk about this particular subject? Because like I said before, when I grew up, prayer was very much a spiritual discipline. You had to do it. That was the only way things were going to happen in your life is if you prayed. And uh, some people were more specific and legalistic about it than others. Like I was told several times that if I just said in your name at the end of my prayer, instead of saying in Jesus name, then it wouldn't be as effective. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Um, Yeah. 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 So there's all these rules that, that, because then there were types of prayers. There was intercessory prayer and there was, you know, praying in the spirit and there was all this kind of stuff. So for me growing up, the, the thing that brought me the most guilt outside of my um, over-sexualized adolescence, it was the fact that I didn't pray, uh, pray enough and that I didn't make that a consistent part. And I always struggled with doing that. And then as my view of God got a little, uh, at least in the initially demystified, prayer became less and less important to me. And now it's more at a place for me, and we'll, we can talk about these specific things as we kind of share our journeys with it. But for me, it's more of a way of when we talked about mindfulness, like it's a, it's, it's something that I don't believe is for God, that God necessarily needs or wants or requires our prayers, but it's something that helps us focus on 
life and it gives us, especially in terms of lament, I think it's an important part of prayer because in that instance, especially if we are suffering an injustice or where something's coming against us that we really don't have a face to put to that, which we know psychologically is healthy for us, I think lamenting prayer especially is very helpful because it gives us at least an entity that we believe in to allow us to kind of vent some stuff out. So I think prayer is 100% for us, the individual. And that's kind of my journey with that idea of prayer and why well, I struggle why with wouldn't it. Why wouldn't you just talk to each other instead of a, d- a divine entity then if it's all for us, you know? Well, I think that there's a lot of like proof for um, mindfulness and prayer. And I mean, there's, there's psychological support for the, the benefits of praying. Oh, certainly. But do you need an external deity for that? Um, no, I don't, I don't think people in general don't, but I, I prefer it. You prefer, you prefer, it's comforting. <laughs> yeah, it uh, is. It's, it's a nice way to externalize. You're referring to like the resilience that it builds. There's been studies that have done on people who pray and people who meditate, but prayer in specific, how it like builds resilience when hard times come, like it defeats people less. So basically longevity is tied to some, some expressions of. Well, prayer. there's also, there's also other practical things like. Uh, uh, there's an article from psychology today that gave like five things that really like a regular prayer life helps improve self-control. It literally like makes you nicer and more forgiving. Like it, there's certain things that it does because it helps you focus on things. It's one of many things that you can do that I think provide those results. If that's what we're looking for. Um, I believe all ritual and all forms of, well, at least forms that I've adopted in my religious practice are forms that are things that are helping me be the message that is embodied in Jesus of justice, of reconciliation, of love, and all those things. And my life is just a journey trying to embody those the best that I can. And I think prayer is a good tool for that, but it's not a requirement from the divine, I don't think. So it's not like an essential element for you. Agreed. To me, I'll get totally give you that prayer has a self-actualizing component or, you know, it's a meditative, like provable, personal benefit aspect. But to no offense, that doesn't really interest me so much in this question because the question t- to me at stake is, is prayer do anything? Does God actually do anything as a result of prayer? Or are we just speaking into the wind for our own sake? And I'm, I'm saying that there's not, not that there's nothing wrong with that or there might actually be benefit with that, but what's on the other side of the conversation, if anything? My background is coming the opposite direction. This is what I think is interesting. I came from a very Bible-based church. Uh, that's what we called ourselves. And I was told routinely that prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. The The reason our church landed on that is that they believed the all of the future, everything that happens has already been planned out, even down to the smallest event. And God doesn't like change God's mind. God already knows what God's going to do. So even if you pray, it doesn't really matter Basically, prayer is just changing you, right? God has preordained everything. And so it's not a dynamic thing. It's more of like a, an obedience thing. The stuff That's that like Jeff, sovereign atheism kind of like of. a <laughs> <laughs> functional atheism through, through absolute sovereignty. That's fascinating. Yeah, it, it was very interesting. And now I've arrived at a place where prayer is very central and core to my theological makeup. I understand when certain theologians in the past talk about prayer as being like the breath of their faith, Helmut Thelic. God, I don't even know how to say his name because he's he's German. I don't speak German. But he wrote a little pamphlet called A Little Exercise for Young Theologians. It's a small book. And uh, 
I read it a couple years ago, and this just came to mind when we were going to talk about this subject. He said, a theological thought can breathe only in the atmosphere of dialogue with God. And I think that I recognize when I read it as like kind of the core center of what I do in theology or in my church ministry and how I view myself is that life is not just a monologue, not just a searching, but also like a dialogue. There's a, there's a sense of drawing near on both sides of the equation. Mona, you said like, what's on the other side? I believe based on what I've read in the Bible, based on church history, based on my own personal experience, that there is, you know, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's in James. And um, I take, not that you don't take these things seriously, maybe you understand them in a totally different way, but like Jesus prayed, Jesus taught prayer to his followers and like all the early Christians prayed and uh, people from the Hebrew scriptures prayed. And uh, it's, there's a sense that it's not just for us. It's not just obedience. And I think that's where we probably get wrong. It's not as if God is commanding you, you have to pray this many times or at that. Although there's some religions, you know, that, that ascribe to that. I don't think Christianity is saying anybody has to pray at a certain time, right? There's no commandment for a daily prayer or a prayer when you walk into a church or a prayer at any point. It's more like an assumption. When you pray, do this, because that's like married to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, at least for me. And so talking about this subject is like hard because I'm not sure how to tease that out apart from the way I look at God and the way I look at my faith. Maybe that's why I've avoided it this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I believe something very hippy dippy. And I like I, I I think like personally this is a really theologically valid thing to believe because Sorry, I Sorry, did you say hippy dippy? Hippy dippy, yeah. <laughs> but like when I talk about it, I feel silly. And I think this just goes to show like how some views and theological, you know, ideas are very much more valid than others, and that makes me sad. I really believe that there are energy forces in this world that move around and that we ha- can participate in them. I, I realize it sounds completely new age, but I have seen enough to to know and to believe certain things that I think that when you think kind thoughts to people, that energy goes somewhere. Like I, I realize that sounds ridiculous, but I honestly believe that. I think what... I guess it's kind of a soft version, a weird appropriated version of karma that doesn't presume, you know... Uh, rebirth, but um, I really do think that the energy you put out into the world matters, and I think that the energy that you send around matters. And if that's through the spirit of love, then that is a prayer. You know, I think the way we live and move around in the world is a prayer because that is affecting energies. That's affecting what we're putting out and what we're getting back. And I think that actually has an idea that ha- kind of ties in for me with sowing and reaping. This idea that you know, if you put out kindness, like you will reap kindness, you'll live a life of kindness and you can show kindness and send kindness to other people, even in like an ethereal sort of way. So I have a little strange story to tell. I I was um, not strange, actually. This was actually pretty life altering for me because up to this point, I really didn't have much experience at all with other religious traditions. Um, But I was seeing an acupuncturist for some health issues and she was also a Reiki master and she had me, um, she, she was doing some acupuncture with me and she had me laying down and closing my eyes. And, and she said, touch, she said, touch, touch your belly really right now. And I said, 
I, I, it sounds weird. I touched my belly. It was like really cold, like very cold to the touch. I don't know if I should be telling the story on air, but here we go. Um, so I, she said, close your eyes. And she's, uh, I didn't know this, but she started doing Reiki on me and I'm closing my eyes and I'm breathing. And I, she didn't say anything. I didn't hear anything, but all of a sudden I feel my belly like warming up, like for no apparent reason. And I open my eyes and she, she's like invisibly like She's not touching me, but she's pulling like with her hand, like kind of pulling something out of my t- like belly area and like flinging it to the side repeatedly. And as she's doing this, my body is actually heating up. So I have I've had these experiences with acupuncture where I'm like, you know, seeing visions and feeling th- experiences. And it, it's not possible in that particular instance that I would know that she was doing that she was doing Reiki, that it could be a psychosomatic response because my eyes were closed. I couldn't see what she was doing, but I could feel what she was doing because she wasn't touching me. So I really do believe that we know so little about science and physics still. Like I think that our energies matter much more than we think they matter. And I think that when we pray and when we ask for things, when our hearts intend them, when we, when we will kindness or punishment for people, I think that those things are effective. So the, those are two different things. Asking and willing. I, I see you, I, you've used them sort of interchangeably because uh, maybe they're having the same effect in your mind. But like, is there a difference in prayer between willing something towards someone and asking? Or for you, or is that like basically the same thing? I mean, I think it's t- for me the same because growing up Pentecostal, like you, you were supposed to pray God's perfect will. You're supposed to align yourself as close as you can to the will of God. And that's where the whole theology of tongues come in because uh, there's an idea that people can never have a perfect pure, holy will that only belongs to God. So when you let the Holy Spirit pray through you, you're actually tapping into God praying to God. You are allowing God to pray through your mouth, and therefore you are able to pray through the perfect will of God. So it's a way to bypass human frailty, um, which is a fascinating and I think really complex theological concept. Um, So, you know, it's, it's not irrational. It's super rational. You're tapping into the super rationality of God. So, yeah. So I think for me, will, like when I will something and when I ask for it in prayer, there's no difference. If I'm asking for something I don't will to happen or want to happen or trying to make happen somehow, then why I'm asking for it? But I think the reason I, I think the reason I make that distinction is like, do you expect the energies or God to respond? You know what I mean? It's no, like I think it's the same thing. Remember what I talked about last week? I think that God is the ground of being. Like, right. God is not an external person sitting above the cosmos dipping in and out. God is like saturating the whole world. So when you're sending someone love, you're sending it through God, you know? Like if yeah. you use Jesus' name or not, you're still sending them love. Like, right. you know? And, and that's interesting because I, I think a lot of Pentecostals would totally balk. Like Jeff, what you said about the name of Jesus, that rings that has so many memories for me because like there is this idea that like, you know, if you don't say in Jesus name, then it's, it's not effective. And you could see that in a magical sense. Like you're not saying the right incantations or the right words and therefore the spell doesn't work. But the way I was taught was that when you say someone's name or when you say God's name in particular, you're actually invoking God. Like you're asking God's presence to come to where you are and to be with you. So if you don't invoke God's name, then you're not really asking God to be close to you and present with you while you're making that prayer. And so it has sort of a formality to it or a distance that would mean that it might be less effective in the long run or something. I don't know. I've never tried to explain that that out loud. Yeah. Well, I think that that idea of saying it in Jesus name, I'm, I'm, I mean, honestly, after you 
described everything that you feel about prayer, I'd probably say I'm in the same boat. And I think that you you invoke the same thing that people are talking about of Jesus' name when you tap into the things that God are of. Like you said, like you said last week, God is love. So when you love, you've tapped into that energy and it doesn't need a name because the action and the feeling and the connection of that. And I just think, I, I, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, I just think that I agree with you. I think there's those energies out there and I think they matter. And I think that one day we'll have a name for them just as we have like a name for radio waves or gravity or whatever. But that that's as long as there's things that we don't know, we have room to wiggle as far as what we believe. And we can attach the word mysticism to it or spirituality or new age or whatever. But it doesn't mean that those things aren't real. Thank you. I I had a similar experience with Reiki. I am like a mystic to the core uh, and have crazy experiences, but I I definitely felt stuff. And um, to me, it was like prayer with a different name. I think you're like spot on or something with a different name there. I believe God's spirit works in all cultures and places and people and times. When I say that, that God is present and works in all those different things. It's like there is an element of everything we do that speaks to God. Even in like the the worst, most unjust situations, you can find where God is at and God is present. And um, in other faiths, like like I experienced there, other practices, we may have different terminology for it, but I do believe God can engage in those things and use them, you know, to connect. the the um The difference that I see is highlighted when we talk about things like faith, like thankfulness. It's one thing to pray for other people and tap into energies and see prayer as like a petitioning thing, willing health, willing this, willing that. Like that's one aspect of prayer. Just like Mona said, there's all these aspects, even in just the Lord's prayer. And one of them is is being thankful. And I think for me, there has to be a name or I name God in my prayers so that I can be thankful to God because I'm not thankful like to the universe for being for existing. Maybe I should be. Maybe I should like look around and be thankful to all these things that exist for me despite, you know, whatever, but to be thankful for me requires like prayer. That's an element of it. Um You know, it's interesting you said naming because for me naming feels so stifling. Like and language feels so stifling. And this is why, like, I think to this day I hold a really soft spot for my Pentecostal roots because the idea of being able to go beyond language and to be unfettered by language and to let the groanings of your soul come to the surface and just be groanings and not have to contain them or codify them, like that that is beautiful to me. And I I think like sometimes there's something lost in intellectualizing the groanings of our heart. I really do think, and even even saying the name of God or speaking the name of God and, you know, all of the theological weight that comes with that word, it, it, sometimes I think the most purest prayers that we pray is just the heart like crying out without language like a child, you know, like prayer is, I, I, do, I do think prayer is, if I could put it in a nutshell for me, prayer is pure language of the heart. Like the purest language of the heart, like the, with the heart like cries and joys, that's prayer. And sharing that with somebody is prayer to me. And sharing that with God is prayer. You know, uh, obviously, I, I guess p- people would disagree if you're not saying to God, like, dear God, c- comma, this is Mona talking to you again. You know, it, it just to me, that's so that's such a limited understanding of prayer. Yeah. For from now on, like for the rest of this episode, if I don't say anything else, just envision my words being 
what she said after everything Mona says. <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably the, the last couple of years has been like, how do I meld my spiritual upbringing now that I've rejected it? You know, like, what are the things that I hold on to? And, and I find myself a lot of times, like, like you're talking about, Mona, really missing some of those experiences of the heart from my Pentecostal background that, that I don't get an opportunity to express in more of a mainline tradition and would might be even scoffed at a little bit in a mainline tradition. Because in a mainline tradition, prayer is like a public thing. You have to give words to it because it's shared. It's not necessarily individual, although that's like a part of mainline tradition. Prayers are like liturgical. You know, I felt like our prayers were more shared in those Pentecostal experiences. Like, I don't even feel like it's I feel like I know, like the intent is that it's a shared liturgy and that we're all saying the same things. But I feel more disconnected in this tradition because it's yeah, it's, it's pre-programmed emotion. Yeah. <laughs> For some people that that might ring is completely true, though. And being in, you know, your background that you grew up in might feel constrictive. It yeah, feels constrictive it, to me. I, but but still, it, it gives us something to share, right? To speak yeah. the same thing, to confess together that this is wrong. Like we prayed over Flint at one of my church gatherings and like named out loud this injustice. And like it was like a prophetic thing almost, um, speaking like truth together and agreeing together. But it took language to do that rather than just like the feelings that we have. When you want to share prayer, it does require language, right? Agreed. When you're in your, yeah. w- when you're in your private space, uh, like Jesus talks about, or in Romans, Paul talks about um, our spirit communing with the spirit of God with words, utterances that you know cannot even be constructed in language that, that go above and beyond like you're talking about that that's that's one form like that's one part of the f- whole course meal of prayer for me yes um, and no but like you're talking about that idea of like like you you prayed together for flint and all that kind of stuff and i think that's great i think it's going back to what i awesome. was talking about that idea of like pre-programmed like every time you say the lord's prayer kind of thing like i do the prayers of the people for my service pretty much every week and I, I think it's much less about the words for the people that connect with that and much more about the way it's presented. And and, and the words can heighten that. And I think that they're intertwined. Uh, uh, I think they're completely intertwined, actually. I don't think you can separate that. But I think that we take away power from the words when we don't intertwine it with some kind of like feeling or something other than the words on the paper, the words that people are hearing. Because I take very seriously that time where I feel like if I'm going to come up here and call myself the person who's praying on behalf of everyone in this room, then there has to be something that people are connecting with that doesn't feel mundane and regular. Um, and So for you, that's improvisational in some capacity? It, it completely is. I don't have anything prepared outside of at the end, I have to do the Lord's Prayer because that's part of the whatever. But um, I used to try to write stuff out, but it, it never... I don't know. It didn't feel right because I didn't feel like I was living up to the name of prayers of the people. Like this is an opportunity for people to connect because at the very whatever we call the divine, I I still believe that when we pray, when we connect into those energies, we are connecting to the divine. And if I'm going to be in a place where I'm trying to usher people into that experience, I I can't just like I feel I feel wrong by coming up with some pre-programmed thing that isn't from my heart. There are times where I do write it out, but it's mine and it's coming from that place. And I know that I can communicate it in a way that's going to connect people. But most of the time, I feel like what's in that moment is the best. I think that there because I I have the same kind of job as you do. I do prayers for the people every week, followed by the Lord's Prayer. and. I think for some people, they don't have the language. And there are times I don't have the language. And praying alongside like the psalmist or 
praying alongside the Lord's Prayer gives me the language to things that that like I need. Uh, so I see rote prayers like that um, as R O T E, not W R O T E, uh, as invitations. Right? When we say the Lord's Prayer, we're joining thousands of years of human beings praying for this same thing. It's this like invitation to interact with God and a wider community that you don't really get when it's just your you know, heart crying out kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's definitely a place for both. I don't think we have to choose <laughs> right. one or the other. Um, another thing that's in my Pentecostal roots, and I think this was going back to kind of something you were saying, Jeff, too, about like connection. Um, uh, I'm thinking about the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Um, this is vaguely in my memory, so I hope I get it right. But I think this is the most time we've quoted the Bible from an episode ever. Probably. The Bible probably. <laughs> so the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts was the, uh, there were two, I guess, church leaders who, um, did they say they donated land? Gosh, I haven't read yeah, the Bible. Yeah, every, everybody was selling their, their land and they said that they sold it and here's the money they got from the land. We're going to pull it together and take care of everyone's needs. And so they said, here's all the money, but they kept some of it for themselves. They kept, yeah. So they, they tried to do some manipulative, shady dealings, you know, in that community. And it's interesting that I think uh, when Paul and leadership finds out, they said, Peter, they, I believe. Is Peter? Man, I'm Sorry failing Bible 101 <laughs> right now. Just failing. When the leadership found out, they said, and this is recorded in Acts, you have grieved the spirit of God. I do remember that part. And that's interesting to me. I think, you know, to have a community that prays together, but when they're not in right relationship and they're not, there's not honesty happening, when the energy fields are amok, right? It's like the spirit of God is also grieved and I think that it is affecting that affects like the community's ability to be unified and to pray together, but also to have their probably their prayers answered and to have those right relationships maintained. You know, like prayer has to be so intimately connected to justice that you can't separate the two. So I think praying for Flint is awesome, but I know so many communities that just pray and they don't talk about justice and they don't talk about right relationship. And so like, what do you do? You're just emptying, uh, uttering hollow words. And there are many actual stories of Jesus about that kind of thing. Um, You're just, you're just uttering hollow words, you know, and you're, you're, you're really sucking the life out of any potential for that prayer to do anything good. If not, it's doing something negative because it's making you feel like a better person, but you're actually not, you're actually living in a worse way. Well, I think that's part of that that idea of connection, why Alan can say what resonates with him in prayer and I can say what resonates with me in prayer and they can be both and because our prayers have to be a reflection of who we genuinely are and what we're genuinely connecting with. And then if it's inauthentic or disingenuous in any way, then is it really prayer? Or not disingenuous because people who pray are, you know, genuinely feel something, but it's almost as if it's a shifting of responsibility, right? You're like, oh, I prayed about it, so... God's the one responsible for fixing it. And then you can kind of like wash your hands of doing anything or of worrying about it anymore. And I guess I just have a problem with the term, your prayer being answered. Maybe that's where my hang up is because then that Uh, insinuates that it's this. Because it's the God double win. Sorry, I interrupted you, Jeff, but it's the God double win. It's if, if the prayer gets answered, then it's God's doing it. If the prayer doesn't get answered, then it's your fault. Like God never loses in that equation. So how do you actually know if God answers prayer? Yeah. I remember when I was growing up, someone said, 
when you pray, your God's guidance are going to be yes, no, or maybe. And I remember at the moment feeling like that was really profound and then later realizing, wait, <laughs> that's what's going to happen anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think that lets God off the hook way too easily. Like if you look at the especially uh, ancient Jewish practices, like it's much more of like argumentative. It's not just accepting, oh, well, you know, God wins either way. It's more like God's still on the hook. The, the stuff's not like uh, cleanly solved um, when when prayer's not answered. And I think that that for me is like the, the more of the, the dialogue sort of thing. I, I think it's, I, I want to address that. I want to say one thing, and then I want to address where we all disagree. We've talked so far about things we agree in, and I think there's one area we probably really disagree. But before I get there, I'd like to say what um, what a, an experienced clergy told me recently. We had this meeting of about two or 300 pastors, and we were talking about boundaries and all these kinds of things. And on a side note, I talked to uh, a minister that said, it's interesting you come from a more conservative evangelical background, because in the conservative evangelical church, it's like you pray to know God's will. You ask God, please show me what you are doing. Please show me what you are willing for this world. That's like the central prayer. And for him and for the more liberal mainline churches, it's the, it's almost the opposite. It's like, God, come join. Come join us and do what, you know, be here with us as we are doing this. Uh, and so like there's this. Yeah. So there's like this call to like, God, don't you see justice? This very, um, I can't think, I can't help but think of Abraham and Moses and the people who argued with God and said, God, aren't you just? And so like there's this crying out in more liberal churches for God to join the good that the people are doing. And I think there's like a healthy balance there that can be maintained. Prayer for me is humbling. It, it humbles me to reconnect with God, like mentally give all of my mental faculties in that moment to praying with God, like puts me in a different place. And at the same time, gives me space to like call God to account. I haven't solved the problem of evil. I do believe in God. And so I'm constantly wrestling with that. And I think that that's like, like that's a form of faithfulness. And um, it, it's a place for you to wrestle. Yeah. Prayer is a place for you to wrestle. I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair. Agreed. Yeah, that's good. But but where we disagree is does God respond to prayer in the sense that God will react, that the world will change under God's purview because of that prayer, right? We all agree that we change. We all agree with Kierkegaard. Prayer changes us. But where we disagree is does prayer lead to anything other than us tapping into energies? Um, I think you can't know that because if you know that, then it's no longer faith, right? Like it's no longer in the category of faith. It's in the category of empirical evidence and in, and empirical knowledge. So yeah, I think there is an God element will. of doubt. Like be not believing God is 100% going to answer my prayer. I think that that's heresy. I think it's, it's terrible to say, I'm going to pray this and God's going to do it. Like that just, that kind of... Um, yeah, but to me, against... it's just as problematic to say that sometimes God will answer and sometimes God won't, and we don't know the real reason for it. Why is like, that, to why me is that, that to me that to me that's that's not a God I want to serve. Like that seems completely. That's like, honest. Yeah, it it I don't for for a for a being or people it who follow flighty, that being claiming right? that yeah, it feels flighty. It feels like and, and yeah. just the logistics of it. Like I agree. Not that I don't believe that. That God is, you know, God is capable or whatever. This isn't a, this isn't an issue of God's power or God's ability, but it's the issue of 
the system that God set up to be affected by all these different things like too many prayers and requests cross in the regular lives of people. And uh, it, it seems so arbitrary for God to pick and choose which ones God's affected by and which ones God's not. It's, it's, it's not very, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, why, why did the lady, you know, who was cured of cancer, you know, we brought her up in front of the church and prayed for her and she was cured, you know, and everyone celebrated and praised God and rejoiced. But then a year later, someone else beloved in the community died of like the same cancer and God didn't heal them. Like how, how, how is the one God and the other not God? It doesn't make any sense to me. Like the, the same amount, let's presume that's the same amount of prayer went in. The people were both deserving of being healed. You know, what the heck is if you, if you say that God did that, you have to answer for when God does not do that that second person's death was necessary for God or meaningful or did something good. Like I, I refuse to no, go No, that's, that's a false, that's a false dichotomy. Yeah. But it's not, you a, no, but no, it's, it's a, not a an necessary either or. dichotomy. No, it's not. Why? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not. You, you don't have to say that it was necessary that that person died or, or that, or that God found goodness in that death or whatever. God doing healing one person is not the same thing as God taking pleasure in the pain of another. No. Does that make sense? No, but it's it's not healing the other person. And to me, just that fact alone. Yeah. You have right. to account for the not healing as much as you have to account for the healing. So if you give credit for the healing, you have to give credit for the admission of the healing as being also significant. But I think that that problem doesn't disappear when you say God doesn't answer prayer. I think that problem still exists. I think for every single thing that happens in our planet— you cannot just say, "Oh well, God." You know, like I, I think that it that that uh, that dilemma doesn't go away just because God doesn't answer prayer. I think it absolutely does. I think it can. I think you could say that God answers some prayer. God answers prayer that like to get, gives us strength to do better and to be better. And God in, infuses us with wisdom and strength to to act in the world. So whenever we ask, God always answers those prayers because if God doesn't answer my prayer to be strengthened, then now see see that your that's, dilemma. Maybe that's my problem. And again, going back to that idea, I have a problem with the idea of God answered prayers. So if I sit down and have a conversation with you two, let's say over a microphone yes. and we record it, um, and I leave that conversation, that connection with you two feeling really good about this particular issue, that's not an answer to anything. It is just the mere connection itself being something that's calming and soothing and for my benefit. So when we use the word answer, I'm thinking like, I'm asking for this and this happens. And that's because 100% God made it happen. I, I have huge problems with that. And the reason I do is kind of going back a little bit what you were talking about, Mona, and this experience still still really like resonates with me for some reason. Even when I think about it, like I still get upset. But I remember we were at a, our Sunday evening services growing up were more like more Pentecostal than our morning services. And I remember we were going, we were at this evening service and they announced that someone in the congregation was basically on death's door and everyone started praying. And it was just this, it was a very like, you know, Jesus camp kind of moment. Like everyone's like yelling at the heavens and tongues and all that kind of stuff. And finally someone stands up and as is the custom in many Pentecostal churches, they give a word from God. So someone speaks in tongues and another person stands up and the word is clear uh, that this person is saying is that God said, this lady will be healed. They will be healed. And I remember in that moment, like, in fact, if I think back to all the moments where I would say that I felt God, it was this moment more than anything. Like there was just something about the words that that man spoke about the 
the the the assurance that this lady was going to be healed that I just I've never felt what I would call at that moment God like that in my life. So cut to a week later, and the first announcement is she died, and I'm pissed. Like I was, su- I remember the whole service. Like I'm just mad, and I'm like I'm shaking, and I can't listen to anything. And I finally I go to the pastor after, and I'm like, what happened? Like I don't understand how we had this moment and we can believe all this is real when the very next week, the thing that we were told quote unquote from God would happen is going to happen. And it didn't happen. And I was given the crappiest answer in the history of the world is that heaven is the ultimate healing and they are fine. And, and I just, I still like, if I'm going to believe these things, I need to like Mona, what you were saying, really look at both sides of the fence. And if I, believe it when this happens, then how do I justify it when it doesn't happen on this end? And I don't have any good answer other than that's not what our prayer in connection with God is all about. I have a lot more faith that that people, that we don't know the science of this yet, but that people using uh, mental techniques and psychosomatic processes can actually heal themselves. I have more faith in that than the idea that a cosmic deity is reaching down and putting God's finger right on them and like saying to only some people that you can be healed. Like it makes more sense to me that there is actually a scientific explanation for this. We just don't know it yet. And I, do you mind if I disagree with you guys? No. Can I have a second? Yes, I mind. You may not have <laughs> okay. your own opinion. So I believe God answers prayer. Um, I kind of disagree with, with the general uh, points that are, that, that you both kind of hold on to. I don't well, think clarify a, for me what you mean by answer prayer. Right, right. First of all, that situation sucks. I don't think someone should stand up and say, this is the will of God and this will happen. And then claim that that's like, for me, that's not necessarily prayer, right? Prayer is more of like an invitation or, or, or a question, not saying that crosses the line into something different for me. Um, oh, healing so is different really, than prayer too. No, saying it's going to happen no matter what. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Paul in Romans talks about God using people for different things. Like, why does God do one thing here and then do one thing there? And Paul kind of punts it and says, well, you know, God's ways are higher than ours. That's from other parts of the Bible. God's ways are higher than our ways. um, And God's the maker. And so if God uses one pot for good and one pot for bad, like one for the kitchen and one for the bathroom, um, it's who are the pots to say to their maker, why have you done this to me? Right. There's like this threshold of non understanding that we can never surpass. Like we can't look to God and say, Hey, why did you make it this way? Um, we're always sort of left in the dark about that. And I think, uh, removing God from reality, which is kind of what you are saying happens, right? You, you, you remove God from reality. God's not responsible for kind of anything that goes on other than just, supporting the world as like this um ground of being but then like everything that no but i think that's i think that's that's dumbing down what i said like i think that he's providing the baseline energy that we all strive for and i and i think that when you're talking about this idea of like who are we to say when god does uses this pot or bowl or whatever like that's so rooted in a hierarchical view of god that i don't even hold anymore like i don't even know if that's a good example to like talk about this idea of answering and you know what what i mean yeah so what i mean is uh, why does God heal one person and not the other? Um, there's what I was trying to say was there's this like 
punt to mystery, like throwing it at the the foot of mystery. We don't know, right? We we don't even have policy. We don't have the right to ask. I would ask. I rail against like heaven. Like, why, why does this person get healed and this person not? Um, but there's the sense that God is transcendent and God's reasons for doing things are at least inaccessible to us, right? And um, yeah, but that but Alan that, that that ties back to the whole thing you you yourself just said was. super problematic that god would have like a purpose or reason for letting somebody die right and the purpose and the reason so that this is this comes at the problem of evil i think uh the for you guys what i've heard so far is that the problem of evil has kind of removed prayer as a viable thing for you for god like answering prayer god changing something because we've asked for it to be changed right and for you, the problem of evil is like, well, if God answers some prayer and not others, then like that just doesn't compute for you. And so therefore, God must not answer prayer in the way that we think about it. Am I hearing yeah. you correctly? No. That, I mean, that sums it up for me. That's okay. the entryway for me. But for me, it's more about like what prayer is all about. Like I would say that God never healed anyone in the first place, that we're assuming God healed someone from that and that it wasn't that, that it could be all kinds of other reasons why that happened. And for me, that's both and. I think that's that, that's the point of clarification I wanted to make. Co-causality. Like, the, the, the world is not something completely apart from God. The world is taking place inside of God. So whether we have a scientific explanation or not, for me, it's not as if we have ruled God out. I agree. Does that make sense? I so agree like, with that, 100%. Yeah. So I can say uh, possibly, and I don't know, I haven't worked all of this out, that yeah, it was psychosomatic that healed that woman who had cancer. You know, she said these things over and over and it like her body kind of healed itself and there's like a physical process involved. I would totally agree with that. And at the same time, say God healed that person because those things are not mutually exclusive for me. Scientific reasoning and God's operation are not 100% divorced for me, except, and this, so I guess this is where the real thing is. Um, I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too. Say a tornado destroys a city. I don't say God did that, right? I'm not saying God destroyed those people with the reason or whatever. So I guess I want to attribute the good stuff to God and you know take away the bad stuff from God. But like ultimately, I what happens in the world and the reasoning behind it is a mystery. And um, I think there's an element of freedom that we cannot deny in theology. I think we have to recognize that everything that happens in the world, there's an element of freedom. For cosmic evolution and biological evolution to make sense, it, has, it, it seems to me that God has set up a universe where there is freedom, where things just happen. There's not a reason. God's not doing good through that you know, tornado or whatever. But at the same time, God is so present that like prayer actually changes things. God has the dynamic relationship with the world, and especially with us humans who are self-conscious and God-conscious, like that interchange actually does stuff. And I guess I still hold on to that. That's a key and part I of my belief. Respectfully disagree. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I think it does stuff, but maybe not in the ways that I was taught to think about it. I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to get over the hang up of the the terminology when we get down to it. Well, I think we're we're starting to <laughs> kind of go in circles a little bit. So are any final... we just we just got to the nugget of why we disagree. And I think that's True. a good thing. True. We've unearthed we've unearthed unearthed this turd and I will polish it forever. 
Gross, dude. <laughs> that is a I rent a cast first. You are the one that used potty humor. I before said something else. potty. Oh no. That's right. All right. Final thoughts for, for this particular thing. Mona, why don't you go since we've kind of talked more no, the last yeah. couple minutes? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, as much as I can like theorize about prayer, I, I notice that I return to it in situations of dire straits. Like, you know, when I thought someone in my family might be really sick, like the first thing I found myself doing was praying. And I, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a totally conditioned socialized response that I'll never get away from. Or maybe that's speaking to something higher that, you know, in times of desperation, we look for, um, we look for someone to understand fundamentally our pain and our, even our joy when we're celebrating, you know, the, the whole idea of wanting to share this life with, with someone, with a presence, with a spirit, with the core, the kernel of life itself to be fully alive, I think is to, kind of have these yearnings um of our soul and of our spirit so i think i don't know as much as i might say i don't believe in prayer i still pray sometimes and um maybe i'll have to think more about that after this conversation seriously mona (laughs) what you said like i was gonna say pretty much that exact same thing that although i disagree with alan on a philosophical and theological level if someone's sick i will pray for them and if there's something that i want to see happen i will pray and weep and whatever I don't know. There's no explanation. And the only thing I can think of is like, whatever comforts you in a moment, like do it as long as it's not destructive towards someone else. And I think that we look at like the, the physical nature of it. It's good to vent. It's good to yell. It's good to cry. It's good to weep. It's good to get something off your chest and not keep it inside. And if we want to direct that in prayer or whatever, I think that that's fine. And I think that there is an element of connecting with the divine that we have no real words for. And I don't know. I guess I'm just saying, you know, do whatever. <laughs> but let what, your actions align. Let, the, yes, let your exactly. actions align with yes. your with your yearnings of your soul. <laughs> exactly. Maybe prayer is such a good way, though, for us to be honest with ourselves, because so so much of our lives are, you know, shoving stuff way down deep into the recesses of our self conscious. Like, I wonder if, like if prayer could be a way to cultivate like getting over addiction and getting more emotionally honest and, you know, cause it, it kind of like, it's a, it's a place to start expressing and putting language to things before you even talk to other people. So maybe there is like, you know, this is an ancient form of wisdom. It's an ancient practice. Maybe there's something there that's psychologically healthy for us today. That's good. Anyway, Alan, go ahead, Alan. I absolutely agree that prayer changes us when we pray in all these different ways. I also agree that it is connecting to the divine and think that prayer is connection to the spirit of God, which I believe is like the fascia that holds all of reality together, the connective tissue. Yeah, Um, man. Right on. Yeah, right, right, right. And I do believe God is personal in the sense that God enters into our world in the person of Jesus uh, in the form of relationship as we understand it. And I think for me, prayer is the cultivation of intimacy with God, recognizing God as the other. And Teresa of Avila would say it's like friendship with God. Um, and I, I think it's all those things. And if you relate to other people by using words, then I think that that's, you know, a core of who we are. That's a core of who I am. I relate to other people with words. And so I will relate to God with words because, Maybe that's why you're saying, Jeff, like you, you'll resort to those things because that's just who we are. We, we are relational beings that just use words as a form of relationship. And so, um, 
that's what prayer is for me. All right. Relating to God. Well, let us know what you think. If you have anything to add to this conversation and you'd like to dig a little deeper in some of the stuff we talked about, you can go to irenacast.com slash 81. That's irenacast.com slash 81. And for any questions, comments, or concerns, or suggestions for the show in general, you can find all the ways to contact us at irenacast.com slash feedback. Uh, on the other side of the music, we are going to be bringing back Apple Dash. So Apple Dash is a game that we did way back in episode 24. And basically it is a mesh. Mashup. Yeah, mashup of Boulder Dash and Apples to Apples. The Boulder Dash part is we've each come up the with best. two random words that the other the other hosts have to make up. Or if they know the definition, then they can say that as well. And then the host that presents the word gets to arbitrarily pick who won based on whether they thought it was humorous or more creative or they just are going for accuracy. Uh, and that's the apples to apples part. Alan, why don't you go first? I love both these games. So putting them together, it gets me excited. And my first word is nequient. Really popular in the 17th century. Uh, not so much anymore. Okay. I'm going to go with someone who has pleasant conversations with dead people. Ooh. <laughs> oh, like necro? <laughs> nequient. Hey, that's nice. Sorry, I shouldn't react. I should keep a stoic face until Mona has a chance to respond. Well, I had such a good one, and you said something about the 17th century. Uh, oh, no. But I'll, I'll just say it. I'll just say it anyway. There you go. Um, it's what happens when you go swimming in the ocean, and you get seaweed wrapped around your neck or any other part of you, and uh, you have a difficult time getting it off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the neckweed experience um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired dang it you know what I you was, know you want to pick mine <laughs> I, I'm actually going to pick yours and I'll what? tell you why yeah, yeah yeah Jeff yours is like perfect and I would usually pick it I didn't think there was any way Mona would take it away but she's actually closer to the real definition and that is being unable being unable just the state of being unable yeah neckweed wow you are unable. Wow. Amazing. I feel like that should still be a part of our vocabulary. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, sir. I was nequient. I, I'm <laughs> like, going to start using okay. some of these words now. I might say that. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, you want to go next? Do sure. Um, do it. Okay. So my word is half pace. Half what? pace. Half pace. Are these like antiquated mm, words that nobody uses anymore? That sounds like an antiquated word to me. I mean, old word. I don't know if it's an old word, but it's a word for something. You know, there's those things in life where you didn't know there was a word for, but there is a word for it. Yes. It's one of those things. Ooh, that just narrows it down for us, doesn't it? A little bit. A little bit. Um, The crook of a cane. Okay. Okay. So in the olden times when there was a horse that got kind of old and it would go like at the half pace of another horse, oh, no, they no, would no, like no. stain, no. they would stain part of its mane a different color. And therefore, <laughs> if you get a shock of hair now, that's a different color than the rest of your hair that just grows differently. Then that's called a half pace. Ooh, that was layered. <laughs> get that, had, that had narrative get structure it. to it. So I'm going that with that, Mona. Narrative structure. <laughs> That was good. I like that. That's not right, but I liked it. So you get the point. <laughs> nice. Was Alan right? <laughs>
What's the actual no. definition? So the half pace is that platform on a staircase where, you know, if a stairs go up one direction and then oh. go up the other direction, the platform, that's what it's called, a half pace. Because you take half a pace to get across it. It's not that far. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know there was a word for it's that. Like the thing gonna, like named after that. itself. I am going to use that casually. I know. I need to rest on this half pace real quick. Hold on. <laughs> and I'm going to look at the person's face and be like, do they know what it is? And they're just going to pretend like they didn't hear it or that they understood. And you're just going to smile and nod and your head. And I'm going to feel like, smug. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm the kind of person to be like, excuse me, you know what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> and they're, yeah, it's terrible. I should be different. I feel like if you're going to use, drop the word half pace in conversation, you need to have a monocle and an accent. <laughs> it's true. Okay, you ready for mine? Yep. All right, go for it. Before you get thrown off, I just want to mention this starts with a J and not a G. And the word is gentacular. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. Someone who has spectacular genitals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. You can't say that. Can you say that on air? I can say that. Can you say genitals? Genitals is a technical term, term. right? This is educational. (laughs) Come on. I'm like Come 12. <laughs> 12 years old on the inside. Uh, okay, Jeff, that's what you're going I, with? Honestly, that that like rings a bell, the J-E-N-T thing, and I cannot for the life of me figure out what it's from, but it sounds so familiar. Um, I'm just going to say uh, that's the state of talking too much. I'm like, gonna, I have to go with Jeff on this one. I mean, <laughs> there you go. You, you didn't even try to say something fanciful, Alan. I know. Uh, like the, the last one, you're like, it's a crook of a cane. <laughs> This is, sounds so freaking familiar. I'm, I'm Alan, serious. It the game so here is not to try to get it right. It's to try no. to come up with something silly. It'll be fun. You don't, you don't understand. I used to read uh, fun little books that they usually put in bathrooms that talk about where words come from, you know, mm-hmm. morphology and stuff like that. Yeah. So it gets me excited. And one of these days I'm going to guess right, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Holding out for that time. Yeah. I am. Okay. Are You, you want to know what it, it means? I do. I'm scared. Yes. It means... Pertaining to breakfast. Interesting. Mm. Breakfast. I didn't know that, but I should have known that or something. Man. Why are you, why are you mad at yourself for not knowing that? It's it just sounds so familiar. Gymtacular. Right. Yeah. I'm okay. going to whip up some gymtacular accoutrement. <laughs> accoutrement. <laughs> My inner adolescent is coming out and I have way too many inappropriate jokes. Let's move on. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay, here we go. Here's my second one. It's actually, actually, now that I realize it, uh, this probably is two words and we're supposed to do one. So I apologize, but it's like a phrase, I guess. It's not a phrase. Here we go. Musque volitantes. Can you say one more time? I'm pretty sure we have to have English words. Like, is this must, this kind of is? Okay. No, it has to be English. It's medical terminology. So it is English. Okay. Okay. Musque. Okay. I don't know. Muscay volley contest is my favorite, please. Well, Alan, because uh-huh. we are not God, we will answer your prayer and we will allow you. Jeff, do not blaspheme when it's my <laughs> turn to be the judge. <laughs> You're going to bring out the Inquisition in me. <laughs> that probably wasn't funny, but 500 years, like I could joke about it, right? All right, pronounce it one more time. Muscay volley contest. Okay. Um, I'm going back to the C in this uh, because nice. I, I believe it, it's a medical term, but it's it's what happens when sea mussels uh, are volatile from the ocean currents and they start producing sound 
that only certain people can hear. And it's so aggravating that they have to go get medical help for it. Muscle mm. and tontus. Very nice. Hmm. I'm going to go with, it is the technical term for someone that uses too much Old Spice or Axe body spray. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your answer is like, follow a certain formula. This is awesome. She's like, I'm, she's like, I'm going to write a short story that has pathos and evokes feeling in my, in my audience for these people who are experiencing this uh, seaweed around my throat or horrible disease. And you're like... Making fun of bros. <laughs> making fun of B.O. <laughs> Making fun of genitals. Okay, I'm going to go with Jeff just because I like that a lot. We got uh, you to say genitals. So. We did. Oh, dang it. And he made a poop joke <laughs> earlier. Like, this is yeah. unprecedented. Unprecedented. So, it's actually the technical term for eye floaties. Those little tiny floating things in your eye when you, like, open your eye and you see, like, the little proteins little going spots, across. Yeah. yeah, the little proteins, like, translucent things that go across your vision. Muscle um, and tons. And I bet you Axe body spray can cause that. Yes, right. Little floaties that get in your eye. I got the aggravating part that only some people can experience. There you go. Put our things together. All right. Here's my final word. It is doodle sack. It sounds like food to me. I know it sounds funny. Like the drawing a junior high boy did on the whiteboard during youth group or something. (laughs) But it sounds like food to me. So I'm going to go with a long stringy fried bread. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in the bread. It's just bread. It's yeah, a sack full of. It's a fried, bready sack fried, full of bread. I've never bread, heard bread, bread described as stringy. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Just I don't want it. <laughs> it doesn't sound appetizing. <laughs> well, I've never heard the word doodle sack before. Okay. The doodle sack. It's uh. It's the collection of objects that fall out in your washer and dryer machine. That accumulate over time. Uh-huh. The doodle sack. Mm. I actually know what this the definition of this one is because it was on a list of words that I was looking at. Oh, so um, I had to Flops. come up with something, you Flops know, on the spot. Some. Oh man, well, that's disappointing. But I'm I guess sorry. it isn't for those listening. Thank you for pretending that you didn't know. Yeah, what it was. you're welcome. You're Appreciate welcome. That. Um, so it is actually an old English word for the bagpipes. Whoa, the doodle really? sack. Yeah, which when you hear it that way, it makes total sense. Interesting. Is that all right, all? my turn? Yeah, your turn. Okay. Wait, who, who so got the point there? That's my question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the person who just pulled something out of the air. Alan, I'm going to give it to you because that was really right. weird. And <laughs> there we go. It, it brought me Are joy. we actually keeping track of no. who's winning here? I'm pretty, we never sure keep track. pretty sure you're winning. I we'll keep just... track of my brain just so I can silently gloat over it. Okay. Later. You can pray about it. So I can pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love praying. It's true. Oh, man. Why'd you go home and pray about it? Okay, the word is... <laughs> that, sorry, someone actually told me that in junior high. You just triggered me. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, my gosh. Uh-oh. Terrible. Apparently, you laugh when you get triggered. Okay, the word is ulatricious. 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 U-L-O-tricious. This is a great word. I like it. It's fun to say. Okay, so it is not regular nutritious. It's not even uber nutritious. <laughs> it is beyond... <laughs> good for you it is ulotricious <laughs> i think it's when you're like so gangster that your car is almost scraping the ground on your low rider like ulotricious and so when you're super gangster you're down with it and so you're low ulotricious ulotricious <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I was like staring off into space for a second. Ulotricious. It just sounds like it's legit, you know, original G. Ulotricious. Alan, that was so bad. Sorry, that I know. it like I was flipped around out. to being good to being so bad again. I, so I have I, to give you the point for that one. It was it was Alan's awesome full answer. That was that you was know, so awesome so, full. It was a belly flop. Sometimes I get like lost in thought. Um, one time I was in like eighth grade and I started singing in the middle of class while the teacher was talking out loud and I didn't realize I was doing it until halfway through. It was pretty bad. Oh, that's like so precious. And I know I just want to pat you on the head right now. You know what? People have done that to me and it's sometimes not very flattering. Hopefully when they patted you on the head, they didn't experience that you were ulatricious because it means having woolly or crispy hair. Interesting. I don't know what what's better, that definition hair? or the transition. That was a beautiful segue into Thank you. the definition. You get crispy a point. Crispy hair. <laughs> you do get Who a point. Who has crispy hair? But what is that? I used a yeah. lot of mousse and gel when I was in junior high. and I Right. Yeah. Because okay, it was like, like the early 70s, right, Jeff? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, people used a lot of gel in like what, the 80s? No, that's early, fine early if it's 90s. gel, but if it's just naturally crispy, like you fried it or something, like you fried it in a deep fryer, like it's crispy. All right. Well, I think <laughs> I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for all the ways to show some love. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.